Praise God. You guys can be seated. Hey, that was a good song right there. Amen. I love when we sing about freedom. That's our story. And I'm grateful for the, the sister that just sang, Alina. We met Alina at Del Sol High School doing FCA there. And I've been able to see God work in her life in such a powerful way. Now she's singing on stage. Come on, church. Isn't that what it's about? That's praiseworthy right there. Way to go, girl. Come on. Amen. Um, so good. Well, we get to... We get to jump into a brand new series this morning here at Walk Church that we've titled Identity Theft. Identity Theft. Lessons on identity through the life of David. And I've been, I've been challenged by this, this idea, this series, this study, and I believe that God has some, some words for us this morning that's going to speak to us this morning uh, and he's going to challenge us in some real ways over the next few weeks as we jump into this series and we look at what God was doing in the Old Testament and how that applies to us in the New Testament and how that applies to us even today, 2,000 plus years later. What I want to do is set the stage for you for this series because if we don't have the right context, we're not going to fully understand what is going on as we get prepared to read. How many of you guys know that context is a big deal? right? Context is important. Context is important in life, right? It wouldn't be wise if you grabbed the, the newest best, best-selling book and you just jumped right into chapter five. You wouldn't understand the context of what you were reading. The same is true for a sermon. The same is true for reading the Bible. And biblical context is especially important as we teach, preach, deliver, and live by God's word. So I really, really quickly, I want to bring a, a historical framework to, to God, to the, the Bible, to the Israelites, to a, a familiar guy by the name of Moses. And what we do is what we, we see in the book of Exodus, and if you haven't ever read Genesis and Exodus, the very first two books of the Bible, um, I think there's a lot of awesome stuff that's happening. I've been, I've been encouraged by our kids' ministry as my wife, Nina, who does an amazing job leading the ministry. She keeps telling me, hey, we're just walking through the Old Testament, and there's some powerful stories in there. These kids are getting excited about it. That's good. That's cool right here. I want us to do the same today. We see God's people, the, the Israelites, um, in captivity in the book of Exodus, and they're in Egypt, and they're slaves to a guy by the name of Pharaoh, and they're under the bondage of the leadership and authority there in Egypt, and it's a bad deal. And God says, I'm going to intervene as the people cried out to him, as the people said, God save us, as the people said, God set us free. That's a powerful prayer. First off, God responds to prayers of freedom. God responds to prayers of salvation. And that's what they were praying. And in God's perfect timing, he says, I'm going to use this guy, Moses, who is totally unqualified and incapable. How many of you guys know that God uses unqualified, incapable people to do miraculous things? Amen. Somebody raised their hand. I'm a story like that. He does. So just in case you you're feeling like that those two things today you're right where you need to be God says I'm gonna use Moses and he's gonna deliver these people and not only that he's gonna be a church planner he's gonna pastor this million people and it's gonna be tough and challenging it's gonna be a 40-year pastorate in the wilderness come on that dude was the real deal um, and so so here's Moses and he leads the people out through the Red Sea. And it's a, it's a beautiful picture. If you've never read the book of Exodus, I think you'd really be encouraged by God's faithful hand throughout the story. And God leads his people out in a powerful way. 
and Moses is leading the charge. And right around the, the, the chapters of Exodus 17, we see Moses encounter a group of people known as the Amalekites. Amalekites was led by a guy by the name of Amalek. And Amalek descended from another gentleman named Esau, um, who we find in the book of Genesis. And Esau went off on his own direction, and there was hostility be between Israel and, and, and Esau and his family, and became the Amalekites from his generation. And the Amalekites had an identity theft of themselves. The Amalekites, instead of choosing to identify themselves with the true and living God, the Amalekites, or the Amalekites, the Amalekites um, identified themselves as thieves, or, or what they would say is we're plunderers. So they would roll up into a village, and they would start taking stuff, beating people up, snatching women and kids. It was just bad. They were known for their thievery, and so they began to, be, they began to make that their identity. See, because when you convince yourself that you're some type of way, you'll start to live that type of way. If you think, hey, you know what? I'm supposed to be a thief. You'll start stealing stuff. I'm supposed to be a bully. I just need to be, act like that. That's my identity. It may not be the true identity. It's not. But you're convincing yourself and deceiving yourself that's your identity. That's what the Amalekites did. So I want to turn to Exodus chapter 17. This is all going to tie in at some point, but are you still with me? Yes. We're learning a little bit today. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 17. We're going to look at verse 8 all the way through 15. We love the Bible here at Walk Church. We love to dive headfirst into the scriptures. We'll read a lot of scripture because we believe this is the living, inspired, God-breathed word from him himself. And God's going to speak to us through his word this morning. Let's go ahead and jump in in verse 8. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. Verse 9. So Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Verse 10. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek. While Moses did, uh, well, uh, excuse me. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek. While Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Verse 11. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. Whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. Verse 12. But Moses' hands grew Weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it while Aaron and her held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. Look at the person next to you and say, I need you. Come on, we're better together. So his hands were steady until, until the sun, until going down of the sun. Verse 13, and Joshua overwhelmed by Amalek and his people with the sword. Verse 14, then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua. That I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Verse 15, and Moses built an altar, called the name of it, the Lord is my banner. Saying, a hand upon the throne of the Lord, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So this deep story right here, it's a legendary story as the Israelites fought with the Amalekites and, and God speaks to his leader, Moses, and he says, you tell your assistant, Joshua, to lead the army into battle against the Amalekites. A couple things that I want, to, I want you guys to see before we rush past this here. One, there's power in community. I see this all over the Bible, church, that we're not called to do life alone. God doesn't expect us to do life alone. 
And let me tell you this, God definitely doesn't tell us to go into battle alone. And so he, he, he calls and equips the Israelite army to go into battle against the Amalekites. And he says, all right, Moses, you're going to go up here. And you're going to fight this battle in community as well. And you're going to hold your arms up in victory. Amen. And when your arms get tired, because how many of you guys know after two minutes, your arms are going to get tired? And then you need somebody to help hold your arms up. I'm, I'm reminded here that there's power in community. I'm reminded here that God works through his called leaders. Check this out, guys. That, that, that it wasn't as much about how equipped the battle or, or how, how equipped the army was. It was more about how good the leader was. How could it be that the army's out there battling and their succession, succession is weighed upon whether Moses keeps his arms up or not? So God works through his leaders and he causes people to hold up the arms of his leaders. I wanna, I'm going to encourage you to, today, church. I'm going to challenge you something. Um, would you guys make it a, a, a priority in your life to just continue to pray for, for me, pray for our leadership team, hold our arms up in the, in the closet of prayer? Would you come around so, alongside your leaders that God has called and just say, hey, we're going to champion you guys. We're going we're gonna to love you guys. We're going we're gonna to walk alongside you guys. And hey, if you need a stone to sit on, we're going to provide it. If you need a, your arms to be held up, we're going to hold them up because we believe we're better together and we're, we're stronger together and that God's going to win the battle through his people. Amen? Amen? Come on. And so we see that we're better in community. We see that God works through his leaders. And then lastly, I see here that God has major issues with the Amalekites. Like... God has serious beef with Amalek and his people, the plunderers, the thieves here. They tried to run up and attack the people of Israel, and God says, no, 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 we're going to address that. And we see it here in these last few verses, as you look at the end of these verses here, very specifically, he says this, then the Lord said to Moses, verse 14, write this as a memorial. It means, hey, I really want you to remember this. The word memorial is, is, is there as a symbol to remember something specific. God is saying, hey, I want you to remember this time, Moses. Write it down. Because we want to make sure that everybody after you remembers it. Even walk church thousands of years later. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua. That I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek. That's serious. God says, I don't even want people to remember them. Man. Not a good deal to mess with God and his people. Uh, from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, the Lord is my banner, Jehovah Nisi. The hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. He's saying that this war is, is going to continue. As I read that, here's what I think. I think of three words. Now, it may not be grammatically correct, but here's what I think of. God ain't playing. God ain't playing. He has a serious issue here with the Amalekites and he addresses it and he says, Moses, I'm going to take care of this problem. Write it down. From generation to generation. As we continue to read in the Bible, we won't go to these verses specifically, but if you're a note taker, you can write them down or maybe we can address them in a charge group this week. But Numbers 14, 15, the Amalekites rise up again and they're plundering and they're stealing things. In Judges chapter 3, verse 13, they're rising up and they're causing trouble to the Israelites. In Judges 6, verse 3, they're back again, causing trouble to the Israelites. And I wonder if there's ever a moment where they pull out the book that Moses wrote and said, God, I thought that you were going to 
blot these people out, they keep coming to our village and causing trouble. Like, God, when are you going to, when are you going to handle that? When are you going to take care of this issue? Because we have this group of people that continues to cause trouble for us. We're just trying to be obedient to God. We're just trying to worship him. We're just trying to live the life he's called us to live. The Amalekites keep coming in and causing trouble. God, you said you were going to do it. When are you going to do it? So now what I want us to do is I want us to take a 400-year journey to the book of 1 Samuel. Would you go there with me? 1 Samuel chapter 15. We're going to look specifically at verses 1 through 3. Now mind you, church. Now mind you that we are 400 years ahead now. I wonder within the 400 years if somebody was just like, man, God don't keep his promises. The Amalekites are still here. They have had babies and generations upon generations. They were supposed to be gone from generation to generation. It seems like they're succeeding from generation to generation. Maybe you felt like that in your life. Maybe you said, hey, God made me a promise and I haven't seen it come to life yet. I've seen my problems come to life. I wanna encourage you this morning that God keeps his promises. I wanna encourage you this morning that if you trust his process, God will keep his promise. And even if you don't trust his process, God will still keep his promise because when we're faithless, he will remain faithful. So let's go ahead and read this here. We're a few hundred years ahead. And Samuel said to Saul, Samuel was the prophet in the land of Israel. He was the man that God spoke through to speak to his people. And here's what he says. He speaks to Saul. Who's Saul? Saul is now the king of Israel. So this is a big conversation. Are you guys ready to weigh in on this conversation? Let's look at it. The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, Israel. That's a big deal. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. God never forgot. We're, we're, we're 400 years later. And God finally whispers to Saul, who's now the king of Israel, and to Samuel, he says, I've noted that. Moses wrote it down. I want you to go find it. Go ahead and flip through that scroll like we just did. I've noted what Amalek did to Israel, opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now, verse 3, go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Everybody say the word all. That doesn't say some. That doesn't say only the good things. It doesn't say only the bad things. It says all. Do not spare them. Kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. He names all that. Verse 1 through 3, God gives a very specific commandment because he stays true to his promise that he gave hundreds of years before to Moses and Joshua. What we see next is very important to the story. Verse four through six, as we continue, the text says, so Saul, the king, summoned the men and mustered them at Telaim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 from Judah. Saul went to the city of Amalek and he set an ambush in the ravine. Then he said to the Kenites, go away, leave the Amalekites so that they do not destroy you along with them. 
For you showed kindness to all the Israelites and when they came out of Egypt, so the Canaanites moved away from the Amalekites. Really quick, what's happening here is Saul setting the stage, right? Saul's got a whole lot of dudes, right? He's got a, a, about 200,000 foot soldiers, 10,000 men from Judah. It's serious business about to go down. And along the way, I love how they encountered the Kenites. Now, the Kenites were friends with the Jewish people. They were friends with the Israelites. And so Saul's like, hey, guys, we're about to do some damage. Can y'all just kind of get out for a little bit? Because <laughs> it won't be a pretty sight. Just evacuate for a little bit because we got some business to handle. I'm going to go ahead and fill in what happens next. Uh, for the sake of time, we, we could read the whole chapter for Samuel 15, but I want to give that to you as a homework assignment. Later on today or sometime this week, open up to 1 Samuel 15. Blow off some of the dust. Open this book up and let God speak to you. First off, you'll be able to tell if I'm lying to you or not, right? And I'm not lying to you, but test it for yourselves. Second off, you'll be able to see God and hear God and speak to you for yourself. What happens next is Saul gathers his soldiers up and he equips them and he empowers them and he says, hey, I've got clear instruction from the prophet Samuel. We're going to go into the land of the Amalekites and we're going to handle what should have been handled 400 years ago. This is wild stuff right here. I love it. Verse 7 through 9, here's what happens. Saul attacks the Amalekites. All the way from Haviah to Shur, near the eastern border of Egypt, verse 8, he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. And all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and the lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely. But everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. So, so what just happened right there? I heard somebody say the word disobedience. God gave him a specific command. Saul, so, look, here's what I want you to do. I've equipped you with enough soldiers to make it happen. I've given you the strength. I've anointed you as the king of my people. I'm going before you. I'm going behind you. You don't got to fear anything at all. You just got to go do what I'm telling you to do. And so he goes up into the land and he says, ooh, but that sheep is really good. We, we could probably take that back. It'll be good. And that person right there got a Rolex watch. Grab that too, put it in your pocket. You know what I'm saying? Like they're all doing, doing business in the city and they're like, oh man, like that, those are the Yeezys. I need a pair of those. Like throw those in the bag. Like, oh, that right there, that flat screen TV, let's take that with us. And those animals, those are gonna be good to eat later. Take those too. Those ones are bad, destroy those. And the people are all like, yeah, let's do that. Let's, let's keep some of this for ourselves. Like God didn't tell them to do what he called them to do, right? He said all. Amen? He said camels, donkeys, sheep, goats, the king, people. Everything is getting destroyed from the Amalekites. This was a harsh and hard day. And here's what Saul says. He says, oh, there goes King Agag, right? He's shaking in his boots. Let's go ahead and make a mockery of him. Let's bring him back. See, you could have ideas that you think is from God. It's not from God. What God's called us to do is just be obedient. Amen? What God's called us to do is to do what he's called us to do. And what we see here is we, we, we see attention. We see a, a disobedient act from Saul. And so what happens next is this. Saul comes back to the city, right? He's giving high fives and hugs and 
People are like cheering him on. And he looks at Samuel and Samuel looks at him and gives him that SMH. You guys know what SMH means? Shaking my head. Helping some of you guys out right here. He's, he's saying, and Saul's like, what happened? I did everything you told me to do. And Samuel, the prophet says, well, why do I hear sheep? Why is the king of the Amalekites standing in front of me? Why do I see a donkey from the, their land? Why do I see goats and, and sheep? And Saul says, well, I wanted to make an offering to the Lord. I wanted to bring back their stuff. God doesn't need their stuff. God needs people to be obedient. Well, he doesn't need us to. He's going to be obedient. He's going to be faithful regardless, but he wants us to because he knows when we're obedient to him, it serves our good because God's best is for us to be obedient, that we experience joy when we're obedient to him. And what we, hear, what we see here is that Saul is disobedient. I'm going to share with you guys why this is important. Because when, when Saul is confronted with his disobedience, when Saul is confronted with his sin, and even though he justifies it left and right, but this, but that, my intentions were good, it still led to his disobedience. And finally, we see the, the source behind his disobedience. Are y'all ready? I want to give it to you. The source behind Saul's disobedience is the first thief of our identity series that I want us to talk about. And we see it here in verse 24. 1 Samuel 15, 24. Here it is. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because, say it with me, I feared the people and obeyed their voice. I want to highlight these two things really quick. He, he says that I feared the people and I obeyed their voice. The first thief of identity is the fear of man. And if, if, if we fear the voice of people, that will cause us to be obedient to the words of man. And what we see here is Saul, with clear instruction from God, and here he is now in the Amalekites' land, and the people are saying, hey, Saul, can't we grab that? Hey, Saul, can't we do that? Hey, Saul, can't you do this? God, God's not going to care. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about what Samuel is going to say. Don't worry if you sin or not. Isn't, exact, isn't that exactly what the enemy did in Genesis? Hey, Eve, eat this fruit. It's not, God didn't really say what he, he didn't really mean it. You're not actually going to die. It's, you, 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 he, he'll be all right with it. I'll tell you what, that is the voice of the enemy. In the world, the voice of man in this case, the world, will love to wrap its arms around you and say, hey, it's not really that big of a deal. Don't worry about what God said. And you'll be tempted You'll be tempted to listen to the fear of man and the voice of man and completely turn your back on the voice of God. And what I want us to learn from Saul's story, because here's, here's what I realized as I studied for this message. Well, we won't make it to David and we won't learn about the identities that David had until we first go through Saul's life and learn from his mistakes. Our future success in our Christian walk depends if we can learn from the failures from our brothers and sisters from the past. 
So we could either make the same mistakes of Saul, because we still hear the voice of the world, don't we? We still hear the voice of men, don't we? Come on, do this. Come on, do that. Go with me here. Drink that, smoke that, do that. Post that. We hear that. Don't go there. We hear our own voice, the, the voice of our own flesh, right? Come on, don't go to charge group tonight. Why make that drive? Don't go to church this morning, you know. Wouldn't you rather just get that extra hour of sleep? And we'll begin to be obedient to the voice of man as opposed to the voice of God. And that is the first thief of identity, the fear of man. As we look back at that verse, I just want to show it to you one more time, verse 24. It says that, 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 that he feared the people and obeyed their voice. The same is true for God, right? When you have a healthy fear of God, you'll obey his voice. When you look at God and you say, I got such a reverence for you, Dad. I have such a reverence for you, Lord. I love you so much, and at the same time, I'm, I, I fear you. It's this healthy fear of God. Anytime the fear of God is mentioned, you know what? It's always preceded by something that's good. The fear of God leads to wisdom. The fear of God leads to long life. The fear of God leads to our good. And those who have it will rest satisfied. You never find the fear of God leading to boring life. The fear of God leads to death. No, it's always the opposite. But the fear of man leads to obeying their voice and obeying their voice leads to destruction. The phrase identity theft is an important phrase to this series and I want this to be a bit of an introductory sermon as well and we're almost done here today. But I was, I was searching what the, the phrase identity theft actually means. I want to talk to you a little bit about this phrase. Um, the U.S. Department of Justice defines identity theft as this. Identity theft and identity fraud are items or, or terms used to refer to all types of crime in which someone wrongfully obtains and uses another person's personal data in some way that involves fraud or deception. I like this word deception here because what happens in identity theft is God has given us an identity. How do you know? Well, he's created you in his image and in his likeness. So whenever you move away from the fact that, hey, you know what, I'm created in the image of God, which means I'm already good. I'm created in the likeness of God, that, that I'm created to be like him. I'm created to be, to be an image bearer of him. When we move past that and we begin to, to say, you know what, I'm actually created in the image of sports. And then sports becomes our identity. Or I'm created in the image of the relationship I have with this person, then that relationship becomes your identity. Or I'm created in the image of my job. And then you no longer define yourself as someone who's created in the image of, of God. You define yourself as, hey, I'm so-and-so, the, your job. And we got to be careful that we don't allow deception to take place over our identity. I think the deception that happened in Saul's life is this. He was a man of God anointed as king. If you miss this, you'll miss everything. The people of Israel cried out and said, you know, the people of Israel had an identity crisis. Because who's been the people of Israel's king up to this point? God, right? God's led them out of Egypt. God parted the Red Sea. God did the miracles. And then one day the people of Israel said, we don't want to be like that anymore. We want to be like 
the other people who have a physical king. We want a physical leader. And God said, all right, if you want that identity, I'll give you what you want. He'll fail you. He'll let you down. Earthly leaders will always let us down. God never will. He can't. He holds us up. And so the people say, we want a king. And so God says, all right, who do you want? They say, we want Saul. This big, bad, buff, tough dude named Saul. We want Saul to be our leader. And God says, you sure you want an earthly king? Because God can already see what's about to happen. He's going to listen to your voice over my voice. They say, we want an earthly king. The identity shift. Did you guys see it? Once the people identified themselves, God is their king. Now they identify themselves, Saul's our king. And when they go into battle and here's Saul and he's now led by the people. He feared the, the voice of man and obeyed their voice. Some of us may struggle with this subject of fear. And I want to talk to you a little bit as we close here about the difference between the fear of God and the fear of man. And I pray that you would be convinced that the fear of God is so much better than the fear of man. That, that obedience to God's voice will always, say always with me, say always. The fear of God will always lead to better circumstances than the fear of man. Always. Always. I'm going to give it to you in just a couple verses right here. Solomon tells us in Proverbs 1 verse 7, he says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Maybe you're looking for knowledge today. You know where it's going to start? It's going to start with the fear of God. It's going to start with this understanding that, hey, I'm not just going to treat God like he's somebody out there. I'm going to get to know him. I'm going to actually have this reverence toward him. That's where I'm going to grow in my knowledge. Job tells us in Job 28, verse 28, he says, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that, my friends, is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. Andy Stanley writes it like this. He says, fear has always been one of the principal enemies of growing faith. It has a way of clouding our thinking and obscuring the facts. I think that Saul, during this battle, forgot about God's promise from 400 years before. His, his thinking got clouded. And he said, well, maybe I can grab some stuff. And because of the fear, led to disobedience. But if he had a fear of God, he wouldn't have worried about what people were saying. I can't listen to you. I trust God. If Adam had a fear of God, he would have spoke back to the enemy and said, don't talk to my wife. Don't call us to be disobedient to God. It starts with this fear of God. Amen. We see John Ortberg say it like this. He says, fear disrupts faith and becomes the biggest obstacle to trusting and obeying God. Fear wants to creep in and just disrupt you from actually hearing the voice of God, trusting the voice of God, believing the voice of God. And I want to encourage you here with this identity theft series. You're going to have the choice. I can either choose to fear man or I can choose the voice of God. Every time I pray that you would choose his voice. John Piper writes it like this. He says, why did Saul obey the people instead of God? Because he feared the people instead of God. He feared the human consequences of obedience more than he feared the divine consequences of sin. 
He feared the displeasure of people more than the displeasures of God. And that is a great insult to God. My prayer is that we would, we would fear displeasing him over displeasing people. We would say, you know what? I can't displease my God. I love him too much. I want him too much. I, I desire him too much to ever turn away from him to turn to sin. I won't do it. That's a true identity in Christ. You'll know that your identity is secure when you're able to look at man, sin, and temptation and choose God over all three. Because you know he's better. Because you know he's good. Because you want him. Because you trust him. Because you love him. I'll give you guys one more verse to chew on before we close here. In the book of Deuteronomy, you may ask this question. Why was God so upset at the Malachites in the first place? I think one, it's true because of how they disobeyed God and they, they tried to attack his people. That was a big deal. But in Deuteronomy, I think we see the true reason why God was upset with the Amalekites. If we can turn to this verse, if we don't have it, I'll just go ahead and read it to you. Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 17 through 19, reads like this. Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you came out of Egypt. How he attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary. And cut off your tail, those who were lagging behind you. He did not fear God. Did y'all hear that? In Deuteronomy, God revisits the subject of, of the Amalekites and he says, He didn't fear me, so he attacked me. That's the identity thief right there. When we, when we, when we see this, this exchange, the exchange from, all right, God, I love you, to, all right, the world, I love you. God, I'll choose you to follow you. No, God, I, I, world, I choose you to follow you. When that exchange happens, God, I used to, I, I love the creator, but now I love your creation even more. I love the source of the blessing, but now I love the blessing more than the source. When that exchange happens, it's an identity theft. And my encouragement to you is to choose God. And praise God, he's already chosen us. Amen? You'll, you'll end up on the side of the Amalekites and God doesn't forget his promise. God will revisit that disobedience. Don't do it. There's a better way in Christ. And I, and I pray this over our church today. I believe that we'll be better in year three than we've ever been if we'll choose him over anything else. God will honor it. He'll go before us. He'll go behind us. And I praise God that in Christ, in Christ, even when we blow it, we can, we can take up our identity in him and start anew. The Amalekites didn't have an opportunity to turn to Christ right there. Saul, even as king, has the anointing stripped from him because of his disobedience. And my, my encouragement to you this morning is this, that you can turn to Christ and he can become your identity and he can cover your sin. Just as Alina sang, he pleads our cause, he rights our wrongs, he breaks our chains, he overcomes, he gave his life 
to give me mine. And he says that I'm free. How can it be? Amen. So my encouragement to you this morning before we pray is that you would live free, that you would live with your identity secure in Christ, that you wouldn't turn to the left, you wouldn't turn to the right, you wouldn't be tempted by the fear of man, but you'd be motivated by the fear of God. And that would lead your steps along the way. Next week, we're going to dive into what happens as Saul is then stripped of his kingship. Samuel says, you didn't listen to God. You're no longer fit to be king. It wasn't worth it. If Saul could have went back, he would have chose God, not the voice of man. Learn from him. There's countless moments in my life where I've listened to the voice of man over God. I've never, I've always regretted it. Learn from that. And so, so, so Samuel says, no, now we're in a predicament. We need a new king. And God would go on to select a young man by the name of David to be king. And we're going to learn about what that process looked like next week. And I think you're going to be blessed by the choosing of David as king and to see what transpires from his life.